Well, good morning. Hey, before I forget, what a wonderful time of worship we had. I, I, I don't want to lessen that, that spirit that's in here, but I, I want to go ahead and just give you some announcements right now before I forget and before we do that at the end of the service. Uh, we're going to be baptizing some folks today from our church at 2 o'clock at Bob and Joan Kilburn's house. There are maps out there to their house. Do those maps contain the gate code? I don't think they do. Do they? Let me ask you. Pound 0407. Write that down. Pound 0407. The maps are back there, but you'll need a gate code to get in. Pound 0407. I know many of you want to just be there to, to sort of witness and help these folks celebrate their baptism this afternoon. Uh, that will be at 2 o'clock at Bob and Jones, and we appreciate them opening up their home and their pool for that. And then uh, Amanda Mason would like to meet with all of those interested in the homeless ministry and it's sort of its renewal uh, back there in the cafe area for just a few minutes after the service as well. Very important meeting for those of you that want to be involved with that. This morning we are continuing our series in the book of James. And today we're going to be in James chapter 2 looking at the first 13 verses. In the book of James, James is setting forth for us tests of living faith, that our faith, our convictions, our confidence in God is going to be tested throughout our life. And the first test that James gave us a couple weeks ago was trials. He said, when trials come into our life, and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, they will test our convictions about our God and our confidence in him. Last week, we said our faith is also tested by our response to God's word. How do we respond to God's word? Do we just listen to it? And are we eager to listen to it? Do we obey it? Do we trust in it? Do we believe in it? Does it change and transform our lives? Today, we're going to learn that our faith is tested by our response to both the law of love and the law of mercy that we've already sung about here this morning in our worship time. Because you see, to be unloving or unmerciful as a Christian is really a contradiction of our faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, in James chapter 2, verse 1, he says, my brothers and sisters, by the way, he loves to include himself as part of the family of God, and that's really, I think, special because we said at the start of our series, James was the brother of Jesus. He, he grew up with Jesus in his home, and yet here at this point in his life, he not only believes in Jesus as his Lord and Savior, but he says, I've got a lot of brothers and sisters, not just the ones that I grew up with in the home of Joseph and Mary. In fact, back in verse 19 of chapter 1, he says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, my beloved brothers and sisters, he loved his brothers and sisters in Christ. We'll get to that test a little bit later on. But today he says in chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers and sisters, do not show prejudice if you possess faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. 
don't be this way if you have faith. Because to be prejudiced is to be unloving, and to be unloving is a contradiction to those of us who claim to have faith in Jesus Christ. Let me pull out one thing here before, as we move through. Notice how he describes Jesus here. He's not just Jesus. He's not just Jesus Christ. He's not just Lord Jesus Christ. He is our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He is reminding us of the worth and value that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, should be to each of us who have faith in him. Do we really believe he's not just Jesus? He's not even the, he's the glorious Lord Jesus. Everything flows from our view of Christ, that he is beyond all things, that he is above all things, that he is before all things, that he is the firstborn from the dead so that he should have preeminence in all things, that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe, that in him all things are held together, that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, that all things were made by him and for him, and without him nothing was made that was made. This is the glorious Jesus that James is talking about here. And James is saying we need to keep who Jesus is in our heads, in our hearts at all times because out of it should flow the way we live our lives, that discernible pattern of, of life that the New Testament talks about. And James says, if I believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, then I will not show prejudice. Let's talk about what that means for a moment. It is a very shallow, superficial way to view others. In fact, to cut right to it, when we are prejudiced or show favoritism or partiality or have respecter of persons, we are really diminishing the value of another human being because we are basing our judgment of them or our opinion of them, our value and worth of them on totally superficial external things. Things like the color of one's skin or the ethnicity or cultural background of somebody or even the material well-being of somebody because James goes on in verses 2, 3, and 4 to talk about the assembly of Christians and how in some assemblies the, the rich, the wealthy were catered to when they walked into the church and yet the poor was sort of just dismissed as if they didn't matter as much because they didn't have as much of this world's goods. And James even makes an interesting point in verse 4. He says, have you not, when you do things like that, made distinctions in your mind and become judges with evil thoughts? In other words, James is saying, and your whole motivation behind that is because of what you may want to or what you think you might get out of the rich or wealthy later on down the road, how they can sort of help you out, where the poor, you, you don't feel like they can do very much for you. So you treat people in a different way just on externals. And James is saying this is a very 
an unloving way to live because, again, it's all about externals. It's, it's not about getting to know someone's heart. And, and you and I, even as human beings, I mean, we're never going to completely open up and make our heart, heart vulnerable to every person we ever meet or come in contact with. But, but neither should we, uh, on the other side of that, you know, make determinations and distinctions and, and come to conclusions about others if we really don't know their heart either because people have done that with us and they don't really know our heart and that upsets us and yet we turn around and do the same thing to others. Amen. And James says, no, no, my brothers and sisters. If we claim to possess faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we will not be a prejudiced people. We will not succumb to judging people and making determinations about the value and worth of people based on simply external considerations. And, and because here's, God doesn't do that. The Lord doesn't do that. He doesn't do that, thank goodness, to us. He never considered externals. He never said, if you don't have this and this and this, then I won't accept you. It was all a matter of the heart. And that's why the Bible says that in heaven one day, there will be people from every nation, every cultural background, every language in heaven, because to God, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That he said in his word, whosoever shall believe in Jesus shall be saved. There's no partiality, no favoritism. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level, my friends. Amen. And Jesus says that's the way we should view others. And, and here's where James is really getting to in all this. He says, if we truly valued Jesus, our glorious Lord, then we could never look at another human being and even ourselves and diminish or devalue them in any way or else that is a reflection on him. Because our Bible, our faith teaches us that our Lord Jesus created every human being. Every human being was created by God in his image and Jesus knit every human being together in our mother's wombs. And Jesus had a plan and purpose for every human being. So when you and I, at any point in our life, when we claim to have faith in Jesus Christ, and yet in any way are demeaning or diminishing the value of another human being, including ourselves, we are really having a bad reflection on Jesus. Because if we truly held him to the greatness and majesty that he is, then what he created, we would in no way devalue or diminish in some way. We would look at every human being before God as one who has value and worth because they have value and worth in God's eyes. They should have value and worth in our eyes. And that you and I should view ourselves that way that so many today do not feel like they are worthy to be loved, worthy to belong. And yet Jesus says, I created you. I made you special. There's no one else like you. Again, so if we have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Lord, how can we either view ourselves or others 
in a less way than what God views us, and he's the perfect, holy God of the universe. That's why, James, if you go down through, because basically then verse 2 down through verse 7 is just illustrating these things. He, he uses the illustration of the rich or poor that comes into the, the church, and then he even illustrates it with uh, how God treats even the poor of this world, maybe compared to to the wealthy and doesn't make any distinctions or favoritism at all. But then in verse 8, he says this, but if you fulfill the royal law, he's not just saying law again, is he? He's saying royal law. Why? Because it's worthy of the King of kings and Lord of lords, our glorious Lord Jesus. See, he's saying this is important because this deals with our glorious Lord Jesus, and it's not just a law. If it's from him, it is a royal law. It is worthy of our king. And he says, if you fulfill the royal law as expressed in this scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he says, you're doing really well. How do I love my neighbor? Well, by not being prejudiced, by not showing favoritism or partiality or respect of persons, by not making judgments and distinctions based on externals. Because God doesn't look at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And James says that the Royal law, though, is this, to love our neighbor as ourself. And many times as Christians, that's actually the problem. The reason we can't love others because we really have not learned to love ourselves. We have really not learned to see our value and our worth Therefore, we find it really hard to see others in any kind of valued or worthwhile way because we don't see ourselves that way. Or you can even get to the warped view of everybody else has worth and value but me. There's that. And yet James says, no, that, that's contradictory to faith in Jesus Christ because if I say I believe in what God has said, I trust in it, I believe in it, I have confidence in it, that's my conviction, then James says I should first of all see his worth and value and then flowing from his worth and value is who he created, that's me, and then others that he created, that's all of us. And that we should be able to view then the world and those in the world with a completely different lens based upon our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. And everything that he touches that has his fingerprints on it is significant. It is special. And so James is saying, that's how we need to respond. And yet, again, our faith is tested there, right? Our faith is tested every day by our personal response to the law of love, the royal law. Do we really selflessly, sacrificially, unconditionally 
love others as God has loved us. And here's the thing. Let's make this very plain to all of us. Our lives to others and even sometimes to ourselves is an iceberg, as I like to say. Most people will only see the tip of our lives. Who we really are underneath the surface, very, very few people get to see. And even we ourselves sometimes aren't in touch with everything underneath the surface. And yet we struggle to even love there. Let's not forget that our God, who created us and who saved us, knows every last thing about us. I mean everything. The deepest, darkest secrets of our heart. And yet, he still loves us. He still loves us. And he always will. There will never come a time in our life or throughout eternity where God will love me any more than he loved me right now. And there will never come a time throughout eternity where God will love me any less than he does right now. <clears throat> His love is constant. And he calls us to be a people who express love, real love. It's what we're looking for. It's what other people in the world are looking for. And God says, you and I, as his followers, have the key because we have received the greatest love we could ever experience through a personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> no one greater, no one higher in the universe than him. No one who will ever know more about us than him. And he loves us. He's crazy about us. <laughs> and he says, now I want you to have that same love for yourself, to see yourself and the worth and value that I place on you because I thought you worthy enough and valuable enough to literally give up my life on the cross for you. That's how valuable you are to me. And I truly believe if we would have been the only human being that God ever created, that Jesus Christ would have come and died just for you or me. That's how much he loves you. And so he says, now, royal law, worthy of the king, love others as you love yourself. How do we respond to the law of love? Well, James doesn't stop there. Then he says, our faith is also tested by our response to the law of mercy. If you go down to verse 10, this is a verse that could be discouraging on the surface, but actually it's meant to encourage. He says, so if one obeys the whole law and yet fails in one point, we become guilty of all of it. Wow. The first thing he's teaching us there that's very important theologically is that God's law, the principles that God has set out for us to live by, is an indivisible law. It cannot be compartmentalized like we like to. 
In other words, it's all tied together. That's what James is trying to say here. God's law is indivisible. So I can say, well, I'm keeping all these laws over here, but if I slip up over here, it breaks it all down because it's all tied together. Let, let me make this statement, and I hope, take some time to think through what I'm saying, not just now, I hope not now, later. We are sinners not, how do I say this? We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Let that sink in a minute. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And this is one of the sort of fallacies of how futile it is to try to be a good enough person or do enough good deeds or have enough good works in my life that somehow I think I can merit a relationship with God or merit my place in heaven because there's no way. If we truly appreciated how sinful and depraved we were, we would actually have a greater appreciation and realization of God's love for me as a sinner and God's mercy that he's expressed to me through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what James is trying to say in verse 10. He's saying, do we not realize every day that we sin against God in thought, word, and deed? No matter how good we try to be even as a Christian, we fail miserably. And that each and every one of us stand in need of God's mercy every day. Because mercy is simply reminding us God does not treat us as we deserve to be treated, but as we need to be treated. We don't want what we deserve. And thank the Lord, through Jesus Christ, we'll never get what we deserve. It is because of the Lord's mercies, the word of God says, we are not consumed. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new to us every morning, and they need to be. Because we can keep all this and yet fail in one point, and it all breaks down. Because it's all tied together. Because what it's really revealing, what verse 10 of James 2 is really revealing is our heart is depraved, as the Bible says. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And that's why James says, I can, I can say I'm doing all this but there's still going to be failure before a perfect holy God over here. So James is using this to try to get all of us, even as Christians, to realize how much in need we are of God's mercy every day so that we will appreciate and realize the mercy that God extends to us every day so hopefully that will turn around and be expressed to others. 
That's why James says in verse 12, speak and act as those who will be judged by a law that gives freedom. Thank God you and I are not judged by a law of sin and death. In fact, Paul says to the Romans, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 2. The, uh, you and I will never have to worry about standing before God and even thinking about one day we're going to see God and be in his presence and be embraced by God and welcome into glory, into his heaven for all of eternity. But folks, we don't get there based on our own merit and because we deserve it. We get to do all that because of the mercies of God that have been extended to us. Because we're not judged by the law that gives us a certain standard to live up to, and we've got to meet that standard. No, we are judged by a law that gives freedom, freedom from trying to live up to a law we can never live up to, free to be empowered by the Spirit that allows us to live life at a higher level. That's what James is saying, and James is saying, you and I should be conscious of that every day. That's part of where our faith is tested and where our faith should be grounded in our glorious Lord Jesus, that We're in need of mercy. And we've been given mercy, and we're going to continue to be given mercy until the day you and I see Jesus. He will be extending his mercy to us. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Which is why James goes on in verse 13 to say, for judgment is merciless for those who show no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me share with you real quickly a summary of two parables that Jesus gives concerning this topic of mercy. If you've been a Christian for a while and you know your Bibles, these two parables will come to your mind. The one is found in Matthew 18. It's a parable of a king who is getting ready to settle accounts with his servants. And one of his servants comes to him and literally throws himself before the king and says, I know I owe you all this. I mean, it's an exorbitant amount that he owes the king. And the king is getting ready actually to sell him and his family, you know, so that whatever he makes from the cell of the family can then sort of recoup the debt that he owes to the king. And he throws himself before the king and he begs the king, he pleads with the king for mercy. He says, please, king, be patient with me and I'll repay everything that I owe you. And the Bible says the king was merciful and compassionate and said, okay, I'll let it slide. And then Jesus says that very same servant that had been forgiven and, and expressed mercy so much goes out and finds one of his fellow servants who owes him a very, very, very small amount compared to what he owed to the king. And he said he takes him by the throat and throws him up against the wall and says, you pay me back. 
And that servant, his fellow servant, does the same thing to him that he did to the king. He begged him, he pleaded with him for mercy and compassion and pity and says, please, give me a second yet. Give me, give me a little bit more time and I'll repay you. And that servant who had been shown mercy showed that fellow servant no mercy at all and threw him into jail. Well, his fellow servants were appalled that this is the way he treated his fellow servant after the king had forgiven and been merciful to him. So they go to the king and say, did you hear what that guy did? So the king summoned the servant before him. And the king says, is this the way you treated that fellow servant that owed you this amount? After I was merciful and forgave you this amount? He said, should you not have shown mercy to him, your fellow servant, just as I showed you mercy? That's the law of mercy. That's what James is trying to say. Many times, even as Christians, we want mercy for us but we want judgment for everybody else. <laughs> and the same God who extends mercy to us extends mercy to everyone. Jesus also in Luke 18 said there were two men that went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a religious leader of Israel, the other a tax collector, someone who was despised as a wicked sinner. And Jesus said the Pharisee went up to the temple. He stood right up there. He looked up to heaven. He started to pray, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, including that tax collector over there. He said, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything that I earn. Basically, I'm a pretty good guy. Aren't you glad to have me, Lord, in your kingdom? Jesus said, but the tax collector, he stood afar off. And he wouldn't even lift up his head to heaven. He bowed his head, kept it bowed, and began to beat his chest. And here's what the tax collector prayed. God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, that's the one that went back to his house justified, not the Pharisee. Because he understood his need of mercy, he would also probably be more apt to express mercy to others. Because those of us in our life that do not extend mercy to others, then mercy will not be extended to us. James 2.13, for judgment is merciless to those who show no mercy. If you've never given in your life, your fellow human beings, any mercy or any grace, then probably when they get the chance, they won't give it to you either. But if you and I are human beings that give grace and mercy to others, then normally when we're in need of that, 
it will be extended to us as well. Now, here's a really cool truth. Aren't we glad that God doesn't base his extension of mercy to us on our mercy? <laughs> we can always count on his mercy whether we're merciful to anyone or not because that's who he is. And that's who he will always be. Because here's what James says. I love this. And we sang about it this morning. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Basically, mercy, from God's perspective, is superior to judgment. Here's how I like to say it. Mercy wins. See, here's what James is saying to us. James is saying, because you and I have faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, one day we will see Jesus wins. In fact, that's what the book of Revelation is about. Jesus wins in the end. But James is also making this statement in James chapter 2, the first 13 verses. Love wins in the end too. Now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Paul said to the Corinthians, you can have all other things in your life, but if you don't have love, you're nothing more than a clanging cymbal and a clunking gong. Your life makes a lot of noise, but it never really touches other people's hearts without love. We're nothing. Love will win. And James is also telling us mercy wins. Mercy wins. It may not win here on earth, but mercy wins with God, and mercy will win in eternity. Because God's word says mercy triumphs over judgment. I am personally so thankful that the God who sees Jeff Royce for who Jeff Royce really is was willing to extend mercy to me instead of judging me, was willing to send his son, Jesus Christ, the most precious relationship the father had, and he was willing to sacrifice his dear son for me, a sinner. That he said, Jeff, I would rather save you than judge you. I would rather extend mercy to you than condemn you. And the test of our faith is, will we live that way too? Amen. See, if James had a goal in mind for this passage, it would be that we begin to realize and appreciate more and more who our Jesus is. 
He is the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And his law to us is a royal law worthy of him, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that his law is a law of love and mercy. And when you and I begin to realize and appreciate the love and mercy that God has extended and does extend to us each and every day, James's goal is the hope that you and I will grow to be people of God who extend that same love and that same mercy to others. Not because they deserve it any more than you and I deserve God's love and mercy, but because they need it. <laughs> because that's who God is to us. Could we stand and pray? God, I pray today that all of us may realize, Lord, how glorious you are, how worthy you are, that you are the most valuable person, the most valuable thing in our life. There's no one who means more to us than you do, Lord Jesus. And that God, because you have done so much for us, the least that we can do is to live the rest of our lives as a living sacrifice. That's what Paul said to the Romans. I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice. God, I pray today that we will not only realize how glorious you are, but we will begin to have a renewed appreciation for the love and mercy that you extend to us each and every day. Not because we deserve it, but because we need it. And God, I pray that we would become a people that when our faith is tested to be a people of love and mercy, that we would pass the test, that we would treat others, Lord, as you treat us, not maybe as they deserve to be treated, but as they need to be treated. Would you do a work, God, in our hearts today? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.